I'm Kim Strobel, and this is She Finds Joy. I've struggled with overcoming adversities throughout my life, feeling defeated and not having the confidence to go after what I wanted. But within every adversity, it can also sow the seed for something more in our lives. For me, that is teaching others to step into the arena of bigness, all while doing hard things and reaching for more joy and happiness along the way. I'm a truth-telling, real-talk happiness coach who believes in giving you the tools to create a life you love. Welcome to the zero fluff, no BS advice that gives you the small steps for big joy. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to let you know that the waitlist for my Create Massive Momentum Workshop for 2022 just went live. This is a workshop that I give once a year in January that sets you up for success the entire year. If you're ready to create the best year of your life, you're going to want to get on this wait list, my friends, because this workshop goes crazy every single year. It's dedicated to helping you plan the next 12 months of your life in a way that's completely aligned with your higher self and the power of manifestation. How do I know this? Because I'm the girl that went from living paycheck to paycheck, making $8 an hour to hitting the million dollar mark and commanding $8,000 an hour. I went from toxic relationships in my life to surrounding myself with people who root for me along the way. And most importantly, when I learned the law of attraction and how my thoughts create my outer world, I shifted my internal blueprint which is the very thing that creates your outer world. And I did all of this, folks, by learning the law of attraction, manifesting, and creating a vision board that actually works. Believe it or not, you have way more power than you ever thought to create a life that feels really good to you. Get on my wait list at kimstrobel.com slash vision dash board dash waitlist. Again, that's kimstrobel.com forward slash vision dash board dash waitlist. And you will be the first to know when we open the doors. All right, let's get started on today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. Again, I want to remind you before we get started, if you can hit the subscribe button, Um, in your podcast app, then you will never miss an episode of She Finds Joy. And I have to tell you all, right before I started recording, I just opened up my statistics and I saw that we have people, we have 766 people in the US. We have people in Pakistan, Germany, Belgium, uh, Europe, all of these places. And so I just want to tell you all, I see you on my map. I see that you're listening and I am so thankful for that. Today, I want to introduce Jill Krizanovich. And Jill, after 22 years in public education, decided to use her master's degree and her teaching experience to become a personal empowerment mentor. Last year, Jill began writing her personal self-help memoir. This soon-to-be-published book outlines a lifetime of challenging situations 
and the tools she used to make it to the other side of adversity. And as most of you know, that's what this podcast is all about. It's not just about finding joy or walking around with smiles plastered on our face. It's about talking about the really hard things in our life and how we can muster up the courage to overcome them and really peel back the layers and create an even better version of ourselves. So Jill, she grew up in a very chaotic household of violence. She has also recovered from cancer. Let me just tell you, that's a crazy story in itself. Um, She's had multiple weight loss surgeries and a newly sober lifestyle. She is also the creator of the blog site, justbeingjill.com where you can find motivation and inspiration for everyday real life connection. Jill, I love that. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So I have to give you guys the back end. Um, I, I think Jill could be my soul sister, or maybe, I don't know, Jill, maybe we were sisters in a previous life. You know, you and I are into all of that. We're almost cut from the same mold in several ways. But Jill, actually, the way that I found her, or I don't know, she found me is she enrolled in my 90 day uh, big, bold and brave coaching program. And as I soon discovered, Jill is a go getter. She is very much interested in or you are very much interested in doing the hard work so that you can expand and evolve yourself. And I just love that about you, Jill. Thank you. And I have a great mentor to help me along my way. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like before we get into the heart of your story, I want to know, because we're about, oh my goodness, are you feeling the anxiety? Because we're really about 80% of the way through my program. Yes. Every time I look at the module number and it's like the next number further, I'm like, oh no, we're getting so close to the end. Yeah. We don't want it to be over, do we? What it? It's so great having a community and connecting, even with all the different levels of where we women are at. Um, there's so much to learn from each other. And it, like you said, as soon as I started talking with you, I knew why I was guided to join the program, which I did without hesitation. And it just, it's been very fulfilling. Ever what since. was it, Jill, that about me that made you like, because this, this is, you know, this is a big deal. I mean, this is an intensive coaching program. You've got to do the work on yourself. You've got to take action. You get coached and not cheerleaded by me. What was it? I'm curious. Well, I think first and foremost, when I heard your bio and realized that you were an educator who also took a big leap and pivot into something completely different, um, that was the first thing that inspired me to, okay, I need to tune in and see what she has to say. And then when I saw what the program was about, and of course had the discovery call with you, I just immediately knew with the with the level of comfortableness I had in telling you my story that it was just something I was supposed to do, that you were the person that was going to show me the next steps toward where I needed to head. And I had done a lot of um, personal development as far as reading books. I listen to the blogs. I read the books. I have every self-help book on my shelf, just like you too. But the one component that was missing was the action, mm. the actual practical application of what to do with all of these topics that were stirring around in my head. So I had heard of limiting beliefs, but I had never taken the time to sit down and figure out what they were and how to utilize them or get rid of them. Same thing with my character traits. I know what my strongest character traits are, but I never really wrote them out and saw how I could be using them um, to better myself. So 
your program has done a really great job um, helping with, with the application part of all the personal development and ideas that I've yeah, you know, but you're putting into action, like you're launching your own podcast, you're wrapping up the book that you wrote, you've launched your own website, like you're going to, you have um, a, a, a plan piece together of how you're going to put yourself out into the speaking world, like you're doing all the back end work. I mean, I, I feel like that's such a huge part of it. You know, of course, I also think sometimes, not that everybody in my program is a school teacher. It, it's funny, though, I a lot of them are school teachers. <laughs> I never thought school teachers would be the number one person in my, in my like coaching program, but so far we're running at about like 75% uh, are, but they teachers sometimes I think make the best students too, because we're like nerdy like that. We're like, okay, whatever she tells me to do, like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to miss out on the opportunity and sell myself short. So I've been trying to really stay on task and do each exercise and see what I get from it. And like I said, even if the topic itself seems familiar or something I might've already known about, there's always a component or a test or a challenge that goes along with it. That helps me to yeah. see it from another point of view. That implementation piece, I think is so important. You know, so many of us can say, oh, well, I want to increase my abundance or I want to make more money, or I want to have more freedom and flexibility, or I want to start my own business or whatever it is that people want. But what I find is you can want it all you want, but if you're not willing to invest in yourself, if you're not willing to actually get a coach that can walk you through that process, then your likelihood of achieving it, I feel like is so much lower. Um, and that's why I become, I'm like a course junkie. Like I, I'm taking a course right now and I will tell you, I'm already, I've already got the next one. I know I'm going to take, like, once you get into this, it, you see the results that you start getting with accountability in your life. And then you're like, I, I need more of it. I mean, I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> and mine actually all started, uh, about a, a little over a year ago. And I took my first course to help me get jump started with book writing. And ever since then, I've been making small investments in taking courses. And it, you're right, it's addicting. I just want more. And I what's crazy it. is, Jill, you and I were in the same writing course. I, 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 how crazy is that with Andrea that Owen, you know? Super crazy, super crazy. That's actually what brought me to you is that I was listening to her podcast. She had been promoting you and talking about you and your program. And that's how I stumbled across you and signed up for your newsletter. And then we started talking and lo and behold, we were in that together. And I had no idea. I had no Isn't idea. Isn't that funny? That's how the stars align. Exactly. Well, Jill, I know that as we've really kind of gone through my program, you've been very transparent about this road of healing your own trauma in your life. And for you, that healing has looked like reading and writing, but this book that you're putting out into the world and you've just told us like little pieces of it. And all of us on the group coaching call are just like, we can't wait to get this book in our hands because there's so much to the story behind this beautiful woman who, I don't know if you guys, if you're not watching the video of this, you know, Jill, he's got like great hair, beautiful face, beautiful skin, pretty blue eyes. Oh, and you. just looks like she has kind of, uh, honestly, Jill, you, you look like a pretty classy, um, woman, like just like you, you got shit together and life is grand and it built kind of looks like maybe it's always been like that for you until we get into your story. So I want to know what, what made you want to write this book? And, and can you tell our audience about some of the trauma and adversities in your life? Sure. So I've always known that there's been a book deep down inside me. Um, and I guess that comes along with the fact of 
that I have a lot of stories and I have had a lot of challenges throughout my life. And unfortunately they started um, when I was quite young. I was raised in a house where my parents split when I was very young. They were both severe alcoholics. There was a lot of neglect, um, but that was not the worst of it. The worst of it was when my mother remarried when I was very young to a man who brought a lot of violence into our home. And uh, I basically saw my mother beaten on a daily basis. And there are a lot of horror stories um, that revolve around that part of my life, including them kidnapping um, my siblings and I and taking us to Florida and keeping us from my father who was searching for us. And it just got worse from there. Um, luckily at around age 13 or 14, I emancipated myself from my parents legally through the court system. At what age, Jill? I was about 13 or 14. So at 13 or 14 years old, you actually go to court and you emancipate yourself from your parents. Correct. They were no longer um, liable for me. Um, and luckily I had a grandmother who lived nearby, was very poor and didn't have much herself, but she was able to kind of take me under her wing for those next couple of years um, until then I put myself through college. And, and how did you do that, Jill? I mean, how you had nothing. I mean, you're 13 years old for, for, for all your life. You've watched your mom on a daily basis, get physically and emotionally beaten and, and um, just, all of that, you know, physical trauma, was that ever turned on you, by the way, by your stepdad? I am delighted to say no. He never physically touched us. Thank you. Okay. Goodness. Yeah. But we, right. we had, we had a lot of crazy incidences where we were held at gunpoint and things like that. You did. Of course, of course, this is all covered in the book. Yes. Yes. Okay. And so you're covered. Yeah. So you're going through this, you get yourself emancipated. You're living with a grandmother who has no money. And I think this story is so important, Jill, because you know, a lot of people don't see a way out. They don't see a choice. And so how did you get yourself enrolled in college? How did you pay for college? What did that look like for you? So basically, because I lived with my grandmother and was emancipated from my parents, I was a ward of the court. I literally received at that young age welfare each month. And because I was a welfare recipient, um, I qualified for state uh, finances to go to college. So basically, it was paid for, thank goodness. Wow. But the reason I went to college um, was because back in the day when this trauma was all at its worst, let's say, when I was in third grade, I had the world's greatest teacher and this teacher was not all about academics. He was all about relationships and he made me feel like a million dollars every day when I came to school and he was very aware of the crazy life that I was living at home. And it was at that exact moment in time that I knew that I was going to grow up and become a Carmen Messina for some other child in the world. And from that day forward, I knew I would be a teacher. So regardless of the circumstances, I knew I needed to go to college. I needed to become a teacher. I knew at a very young age that that was my life calling. And Jill, what was this teacher's name? Carmen Messina. Carmen Messina. And yes, it was, was a guy. Yeah, he was a guy. He was like a big giant teddy bear. Um, I had a total crush on him, not in a love lover kind of way, but a paternal kind of way. Like he just felt like a big dad teddy bear. And he gave me all the attention and guidance and confidence I needed in that one year of school to say, I'm going to grow up and be just like him. Isn't that um, that I just have goosebumps. Like sometimes we just forget 
because you know the teaching profession our paycheck does not mirror our value in any way and it's really easy to almost feel like we don't have value when expectations keep keep being placed upon us and we really feel like sometimes we're losing our life to the profession but just you saying that it's like sometimes we forget that the value of a teacher and what they can do to change the trajectory and you know kim i had a wonderful opportunity because When I got hired, I actually got hired in the school district that I attended as a child. And Mr. Carmen Messina was still there for about his last two years of teaching. So when he um, was set to retire, I was asked to do his retirement speech. And I was in a room of probably about 250 teacher union members. We were at a hotel and I'll never forget delivering that speech because I opened it up by saying, when I got to college, one of the first tasks I had was to write an essay about the best teacher I ever had and the worst teacher I ever had. Of course, it was a no-brainer that I was going to write about Mr. Messina, but the coolest thing was, was in that room that day was the best and worst teacher I ever had. And I said it out loud. You did not. I, I did. And it was the most gratifying moment of my life because I said, how ironic that when I was tasked to write it, I knew he would be here and how ironic that they're both in this room today. And it was one of the most gratifying moments of my life because I wanted every teacher in there to know their their personal impact. That is so powerful, Jill. So so did you name him by name, the other person or the woman? I did not, I did not. But But you just said they're in the room too. And that person knew exactly who they were. And I had two people approach me later after it. And, and, it, and they said, we, we knew who you were speaking about. And oh, a lot wow. of it boiled down to my older sibling, who was much smarter than I was, who went up the pipe in school before I did. They, I had a lot of uh, accountability to measure up to his expectations. And I had one teacher in particular who was very crude and cruel. And anyhow, it was just a, it was a wonderful thing to be in the district, to be able to deliver that speech and let him know that he inspired me to be who I am today. What did he do when you spoke about that? Oh, I don't think there was a dry eye in the house. I mean, it was really, uh, and and again, this goes to uh, show, you know, the public speaking that I feel is possibly in my future. Yes, like, this it, is... just, it just felt right. It felt comfortable. I was so happy to have been able to say the words that I did. And he was obviously delighted to receive them. Yeah, this know. is one of your signature keynotes. I hope you know that. Like, this story is because for me, one of my keynotes that I give is all about helping people remember their why, like why they chose this profession, because it's really easy to get lost into the fray and we really break it down. And then I share up there some of my whys, which is a former fourth grade student that I taught who I believe completely changed me as a teacher. And then I, I share a couple of other stories and then I have teachers really dig deep and do their why your story plays this, this is one of your signature talks. Like this story needs to be shared with educators uh, of the impact that that teacher had on your life. And then the one that didn't, that is so powerful. I can't help but coach you, Jill. Here I am interviewing <laughs> you on the podcast and I'm like, That's okay, right. Jill, now we're going to do this. <laughs> I love it. Any feedback is, is great. Um, okay. So you emancipate yourself from your parents. Do you have any contact with your parents between the ages of 13 to college? I do. Um, I've always had a very on and off estranged relationship. So 
with both my mother and my father, who of course have been divorced for a long time already, I go through spurts. Um, both of them are, you know, have mental issues. They're both alcoholics. So it would go like, I would talk to one of them for a year or two, then something would happen and we wouldn't talk for a couple of years. Same thing would happen on the other side. So there was sporadic, um, sporadic visitations and connections throughout there. Hey everyone, I'm interrupting this podcast episode because I want to talk briefly just to the teachers who are all listening in. I heard a phrase from a superintendent back in January who said, my teachers are June tired and have been for most of last school year. I know that educator burnout is very real. Between preparing today's children for tomorrow, the challenges of delivering education during a pandemic, all while juggling virtual, remote, and in-person learning, the demands of education are so very heavy. I don't know how, folks, but somehow our jobs became even harder. Burnout can look like teachers leaving work feeling defeated. It can look like working nights and weekends just to keep up. And it can also look like irritability and having nothing left over for your own family which is why I would love to do a back-to-school keynote for your teachers. I'm determined to help schools overcome burnout by taking control of their happiness with simple habits that help you create a work-life balance. I also created a set of mini courses that you can take online, maybe over the summer, to help you learn to take care of you. Be sure to check these out in the show notes at strobeleducation.com forward slash online courses. And if you'd like to book a keynote, you can simply go to strobeleducation.com forward slash speaking. Just know teachers that I see you, I feel you, and I'm rooting for you. And I know that you say that you had a mother who couldn't love. Tell me about that. So when I began writing the book, uh, I really thought I was going to be spilling out all of these stories that I had built up inside of me. And it was really about just getting what was in my head out on, onto a piece of paper. What I didn't realize was that really my story was about my healing process with my mother, my mother who never loved me, who wasn't nurturing, who was incapable of connecting and being there for me. And there's so many stories uh, that will be in the book that, that outline that. But I didn't realize at the time that that's what the book was going to be about. So as I began writing the story, I began to realize after I kind of did each chapter of each thing I could remember that there was this silver lining or this nugget inside of each thing that was a gift, like an incident happened. But then when I read it back to myself, I saw the gift that was in that moment and what I gained. And give me an example of that, Jill. So for example, um, in my early years, when I was neglected, I learned how to self-love and self-love is what carried me through my entire life. I have never lacked there. I've never lacked in self-love. I've never had poor self-esteem. I've always loved myself and given myself anything I've needed or, you know, yearned for. And that, that came from a very early age because they couldn't love me. I learned to love myself. So you self-soothed yourself, which meant that you learned from an early age, not to count on anybody else to bring that to you, that that was an internal thing from, that came from you. 
Correct. And, and I, it was a sad way that it was developed, but all of these things like resiliency and self-love and perseverance, every single one of these traits stemmed from my adversity and my challenging times. And as I was writing it on the paper and coming up with all of these things and, and realizing, oh, I had a teacher that I turned to. Oh, I had a neighbor who helped. I thought, wow, I'm really creating a toolbox here of all the different things I turned to through these difficult times. And I realized that my memoir could then potentially have this self-help spin where I could say, doesn't matter what age you are or where you are in life, if you look back or if you're there now, you can see the tools that you can use to get you through this. I love that. And I too, I think that it's hard to do when you're immersed within the difficult situation. It's almost like you have to come through it and then have the ability to look back through reflective eyes. I know even just yesterday, you know, with my panic disorder and I'm doing some other things just because I, I, I really, I got set back a couple of years ago with it. And I, have not fully recovered from that. And I felt frustrated yesterday thinking like most people don't have to fly to Atlanta and do $8,000 worth of brain scans to make sure that the therapy they're using to heal their panic disorder is really the right therapy for. And I started like getting into that like nasty spot again, where it's like, why is this so hard for me? Um, and then I was sitting somewhere and I don't know if somebody came up to me and they're just like, I just want you to know, like, you just inspire me so much with your story, understanding that you have struggled too. And so I was kind of like, I do understand that without panic disorder, this version that is in front of everyone today would not be here, but I am also not going to lie and go, but sometimes maybe I would have been okay just staying like a school teacher and not ever having panic disorder. Like, I don't know. Sometimes it still does feel easier, you know, because oh, it can be hard. Absolutely. And so the writing, the writing was the healing, but at the same time, there was something else simultaneously happening. Um, and that was, I was having a spiritual awakening and I had no idea what it was. I had never had one before my spiritual awakening woke things up in me that have always been there, but I have long since suppressed and didn't recall or remember. So as I'm writing my book, I'm also reading lots of other books. Um, I was kind of guided to names like Gabby Bernstein and Louise Hay and all of these names with, that are you know famous with the law of attraction and you get what you put out. And as I started reading, I had an epiphany that I had actually manifested my life there's a really endearing story in my book about a time when I was sitting in my grandma's house when I was very young and I had the Christmas wish book and I was making a list and she came over to ask me if it was my Christmas wish list. And I said, no, it's not for me. It's for my daughters when they grow up. I don't want this stuff. We have to put this in a safe place. And at that time, I had basically come up with what I was going to manifest um, for my life. And then in writing this book, I remembered this flashback with my grandmother. And I remember the conversation with I had her and with her. And I had realized that everything I thought of as a child at that point that I wanted for myself that I obviously did not have in the family I was immersed in had literally come true from the husband to the two daughters to the house we live in. I had manifested everything. And I felt like I had only gone to that point and that the universe was waking me up again to say, this is not the end of your road. It's time now to pick up the rest of it. What do you want? Where yes. are you headed? 
Isn't it interesting that you can pinpoint that kind of spiritual awakening? And for those of you who are listening, I mean, I've had that too. And I don't know how you describe a spiritual awakening. I mean, you kind of gave us a description of what that was like for you. For me, it was as if someone did a download on me and all of a sudden I started to look more expansively at the world and I started to tune into all of the superpowers that are available for me to tap into that I just didn't know before. And I remember like even my at a cellular body, like my body just started vibrating, just feeling like it's almost like a secret door, right? That nobody knows is there. And then you discover it and then, and, and you go through it. It's almost like the, the lion and the, and the witch in the wardrobe and you like go through it. And there's this whole other like universe available for you. And it changes the way you look at things. It absolutely does. And I'm so grateful for that awakening and that remembrance of what we really have deep, deep inside. And so this all tied in, in that there was one book in particular um, the book I read called The Instruction by Ainsley McLeod. And yes, I'm looking for it on my bookshelf right now because yeah, look at I have it. Look, for those oh. that are watching this book here. Yes. Yeah. Keep talking, yeah. Jill. Okay. So this book was the pivotal book in that I had spent my whole life thinking that I grew up motherless and with a mother that, you know, didn't love me for whatever reason, having those feelings of rejection, having those feelings of not enoughness and why, why couldn't she love me? And it wasn't until I read that book there um, that I really recalled and remembered that we're all just a soul and we all have our own soul contracts. We all have our own soul journeys. And that book right there made me understand in one or two chapters that it was never, ever about me. And it was always about my mother. And suddenly so many things came into perspective for me, my relationship with my own daughters, my relationship with everybody else in the world. And I just was able to take this giant step back and say, wow, that was not even about me. You know, this woman had her own demons and struggles. And that's when I began the path of forgiveness. So forgiveness truly began when I read that book while I was writing my book, all of these things just started intersecting and, and it was just, it, it was, and it is a beautiful healing process. You know, we're going to drop that book in the links of the show notes. And I actually am going to reread that book because I'm struggling with forgiveness again a little bit. And I haven't read that book in probably 10 years. So I have now brought it off the bookshelf. And I think you're the person to tell me it's time to reread that. But I also want to know, Jill, and of course, we're needing to wrap up here soon, but there's a few other pieces that I need to understand what did forgiving your mother, what does that even look like? Because you did not, you did not get another relationship. You didn't like start having a relationship with her or any, anything like that. What did forgiveness look like for you and feel like? So it was very difficult to forgive her um, for all the years that, that we were estranged with, from one another. I didn't really know how to do it because I, like most people, thought or believed that forgiveness was, you know, having to actually get face to face with a person and say, I forgive you and I'm sorry. And, you know, brush it all aside. And it took reading several books, including that book and doing a little bit of soul searching and researching to understand that forgiveness is never about the other person. It's about yourself. And I was seeking inner peace 
And that's what I found, you know, forgiveness is an action. It's very difficult, but it's that willingness to let go. And, and you're not condoning the behavior. You're not saying the behavior is okay, but you're saying it happened. I'm moving past it. I'm no longer letting it steal my thoughts, steal my thunder. I'm, I'm moving past it now. It is what it is. There's nothing we can do to change it. And I also realized I didn't have to say that to her directly. And I never did get the opportunity to say that to her directly. She recently just passed away, but I would say it in my prayer and I would send her love and light. And those were all things I was never able to do before till I had this awakening to remind me that I could love her from afar. I could forgive her from afar and I have reset my inner peace because of it. That is so powerful. So would you say that forgiveness got you to a place of neutrality? Absolutely. Yeah. So like, I know that I haven't forgiven certain people because I keep talking about the injustices that they did to me. Um, And I'm just being a real human being here with all of everyone who's listening. It's something that I definitely have to continue to work on. And the way that I know I haven't is because until I'm able to get into a neutral place with them, um, then I will know I am there. But this idea too, and I've heard it so many times, you know, you should pray for your enemies, you should pray for their wealth, their health, their happiness. And oh, it's so hard to do Jill. And at first, and I'm going to guess like, it's okay to pray for it, knowing that your innermost heart maybe doesn't really want that for them. But you're just kind of asking God to just take that and heal that woundedness inside of you. And eventually it, you are able to pray it and say it with meaning. Is that kind of how it works? Definitely. Very difficult in the beginning, but as time goes on and you dig in deeper and believe it more and more, it's that neutrality. Like you said, it's not like, Oh, everything's beautiful. And and many people will read the book and think, how could you ever forgive? I mean, there's, there's some things in there that you would personally believe don't warrant forgiveness. Yes. But you have to do it for your own personal sake. That's just all there is to it. (laughs) So what else was interesting, Jill, is during this, my program that you're in, we had a group coaching call and um, your mother, who you said actually lived about a mile down the road from you Mm -hmm. that you had not seen in how long? Four years. Yeah. In four years. And you knew that she was dying Mm -hmm. and that she was a day or two away Mm -hmm. from dying. And you chose not to go back and have any kind of closure with her. And each and every person gets to decide what is the right path for them. Some people would need to do that. But what was so astounding to me is that you knew that you did not need to do that. And I want to, I want you to explain that because you even talked about how there were neighbors and people were saying like, if you don't go kind of say goodbye to your mom right before she dies, you're going to regret it. And I, I just want you to kind of walk us through that, Jill. Sure. So when she was ill at the very end here, um, I got a phone call from my brother who also lived in her household, who I also haven't spoken to in a couple of years. The both of them suffered terribly from addiction. And my mother actually passed away from liver cirrhosis and drinking herself to death. So approximately four years ago, I made the conscious decision that I could not stand by and watch her do this anymore. You know, essentially, she was killing herself in a slow, painful death, and her sister had died in the exact same way just a handful of years before. And you know, I, I told her and kind of gave her the ultimatum that 
I couldn't and wouldn't watch this anymore. If this is what she chose, then this is where I was going to exit the stage. And, you know, good riddance, she said, basically. So I, in that moment and in that decision, I said my goodbyes then. I prepared myself for when the call would come, what I was going to do to handle the situation. And I had vowed to myself then and made that boundary that I would not look at her in that suffering phase of dying. Um, I don't know if you know anybody who has died of liver cirrhosis, but it's a horrific death. And uh, I had phone calls, like you said, of people calling me to say, do you need to rethink it? Don't you think you should go and let her know? And I was very strong in my conviction and upheld that boundary. And I was so proud of myself for it because as far as I was concerned, she had died a long time ago. Yes. The person that I knew her to be died a long time ago and she was just suffering in this body for so long. So um, I think that's another one of those steps we take to loving ourselves. I know I heard in one of your podcasts, a woman referred to it as that self-loyalty. Yes. And it's just one of my strongest traits. And unfortunately, it's because of her darkness that I was led to light. And so self-loyalty yeah. is, is one of my great personality traits that yeah, I hope never it is. And what I loved is on that group coaching call, you did not, and this was a day or two after she had died and you did not carry guilt. You did not like, I think that so much of the time we carry guilt around, which is never helpful, right? Guilt only works if you can change the behavior and you want to change the behavior for next time. But what I really liked Jill was there was such power in your story and understanding like this woman was your blood. She was your mother. Um, there were uh, un unbelievably so all of these hidden gifts that came about as a result of you being her daughter, a couple of them being that you chose and no self-loyalty and self-love like no other, but that you've also gone on. You have your two daughters, you have a husband and you are nothing like the mother that your mother was to your daughters. And so it's just so, I, I love how honest you are, but I think the number one thing that I get from when I talk to you, and I remember feeling this off of our phone call is uh, the group coaching call is it's almost like you don't have any damn excuses. You're like, I just know this is best for me. And it actually feels empowering to take these steps. I don't feel all the shame and guilt and all of that. I just know that I know how to choose what is best for my well-being. And I think we need to hear that, you know? Definitely. And I'm, I'm so glad to share that. And that's what my message is about. And that's what I'm hoping will come of writing this book is that I really would love to empower and speak and motivate others. Once these stories come out and people hear of some of these trials that I and challenges that I was through, I would love to speak on them and how I got through them and share this message because we don't have to be the victim. I mean, we just don't have to be the victim. It's always a choice. It's always a choice. Well, and you are starting into your speaking business and I would like to include your email in the show notes because, you know, there could be a, a woman's organization or someone listening to this podcast or somebody who works with overcoming adversity who would want to contact you to do a keynote or, or to work with there. So is that okay? I'm going to include, I'm going to include all your links. We can tell people where to find you and Absolutely. then include your email as well. Absolutely. I'm totally open to that. I'm just getting started out and I love any opportunity to share. Okay. And so where can people find you, Jill? 
I can be found at justbeingjill.com. That's my website and blog. Um, I'm also just starting to get active on Instagram at justbeingjill. And I do have a Facebook group. If you go to facebook.com um, slash groups slash justbeingjill, I'm just starting to build that community too. I'll be giving some book teasers and talking all about my book launch as it begins to happen and unfold. And that's also the name of your podcast that you're going to be launching. The Live Out Loud cast. The correct. Live Out Loud. Okay, Live Out Loud. Okay, that's going to be the podcast that launches. And then, Jill, do we, I know we're going to have to have you back on when you actually get the book to the publisher. Do we have any idea what this book's going to be called? The book's title is called When the Apple Falls Far from the Tree. Ooh, the apple falls far from the tree. Jill, that is so good. I know so many of our listeners are already like, I wish I could order that from Amazon right now. Oh, oh, I can't wait. And thank you. I hope to come back and talk about it when it does release and get ready to launch. I hope a lot of people will enjoy it just as much as I enjoyed writing it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Jill. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me on the She Finds Joy show today. I'm so honored that you chose to listen to this episode. As always, this conversation will be continued in my free private Facebook group called She Finds Joy. You can join that group by going to kimstrubble.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other people just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we drop a new episode every other Wednesday. So make sure you subscribe. Go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to kimstrobel.com forward slash review. That will put you in Apple Podcast where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down just a little bit, you can leave a five-star review and write a few sentences letting me know what you thought. It's so very important to get people to leave a review for my podcast. The reviews help me get higher on the iTunes list, and that will show up when people are searching for a new podcast, and it will really help us get new subscribers. So if I could ask one little favor for you, just to go to kimstrubble.com forward slash review, give us a review and give us a comment and let us know what's been helpful. Thank you so much for listening in. I am really honored to be a part of this community with you.